0: I if I'd been able to pick a psalm for today, I couldn't have picked a better one than that, as hopefully you'll see as we turn to Malachi chapter 1, and we're reading today from verse 6, Malachi 1 and verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. I implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. And every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table it is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is a cheat who has an acceptable meal in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now this admonition is for you, priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because if you I will rebuke your descendants, I'll spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and, and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Let's pray. Our Father, as we reflect on this sobering passage this morning, we pray that you might indeed give us ears to hear and give us minds to understand. And most of all, give us wills to obey your word for Jesus' sake, amen. A few years ago, some of us attended a Stand for Life rally in Hyde Park. Unfortunately, our anti-abortion protest made little difference. But there we were, waving our placards, chanting our slogans, applauding the speakers, and they made the same point repeatedly, that modern society is less concerned about unborn babies than battery hens, that unborn children deserve as much attention, as much respect as chucks in a henhouse, or pigs on a farm. How much more so? How much greater still the attention and respect that should be given to God, our Creator, our Lord? That's Malachi's point here in verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due to me? If I am a master, where's the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? Instead of giving God the respect that he deserved, his sons, his servants were displaying utter contempt. But to make matters worse, those he singles out here, it was their role to prevent this kind of thing. It was the priests, the ordained clergy, if you like, that Malachi calls out in this second oracle. The previous verses had addressed the community in general, but now the focus is on the priests. Here the prophet targets the ecclesiastical leaders the religious instructors, the guardians of the faith, those ordained to serve, those responsible for conducting the worship that God demanded. But rather than giving God due respect, these priests were treating God with utter disdain. As Malachi puts it, they were profaning God's holy name. Of course, that's not how they saw it. Their verbalized response makes this clear. How have we shown contempt for your name, they ask. How have we defiled you? Not guilty, my lord, they pleaded, But they were guilty. They were culpable. They had shown contempt for God's name, his character, and everything he stood for. And they'd done so, first of all, by not following God's instructions, by not fully obeying God's word themselves. They had thus suggested that God's table, his sacrificial altar, was contemptible. As before, it's doubtful that they actually came out and said these words. Surely no self-respecting priest had the audacity to express this verbally. But what they thought in their hearts was all too clear from what they were doing with their hands. These priests were offering God something that was defective, something that was unacceptable, animals that were blind and injured, lame or diseased. Rather than the unblemished offerings that God commanded, They were offering up damaged goods. As Peter Adam puts it, they were serving up to God roadkill. And they evidently saw no harm in this. Notice that repeated question there in verse 8. Is this not wrong? Is this not evil? Well, evidently they didn't think so. No doubt, as we so often do, they had rationalized their behavior. After all, other than the odd sick animal, didn't all this mutton taste exactly the same? And if it was good enough for the herdsmen, those who regularly ate their damaged livestock, surely it was good enough for everyone else, including God. Or maybe they they theologized what they were doing. After all, God himself wasn't going to taste the difference now, was he? And isn't the spirit far more important than the letter of the law? And at least Yahweh was the focus of this worship. It's not as if they're serving other gods or worshiping idols here. was hardly a a gospel issue. Well, actually, it was. But these priests were ignorant of that fact. They hadn't done biblical theology here at Moore College. (laughs) They didn't realize that Israel's unblemished offerings foreshadowed that perfect sacrifice for sin, that final sacrifice presented by the high priest who truly meets our need, one who's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. Now, these priests may well have thought that Moses was being a, a little pedantic. But God didn't really mind about such matters. Well, try offering such things to someone you do respect, says Malachi. Try serving them up to someone you do fear. Would he be pleased? Would he accept you? Would he lift up your face? No? Well, what makes you think God is any different? With his clever wordplay, verse 9 brims with sarcasm. The priests present their tender sheep. And now they're caustically invited to tender their petition to God. Plead with God to be gracious to us, suggests the prophet. Can't you see that you're wasting your breath? Don't you realize that you're wasting your time? With such offerings from your hand, will God accept you? Will he lift up your faces? Of course not. The answer is obvious. And verse 10 removes all doubt. Oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors, so that you'd not light these useless fires on my altar, I'm not pleased with you, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Far better, says the Lord, far better that this lame excuse for worship just stop. Far better to put the temple in lockdown, to close up shop altogether, than persist with such useless ritual. You see, it's simply not honoring God. Indeed, as verse 11 insists, it's a far cry from the worship that truly magnifies his name. For from where the sun rises to where it sets, All over the world, my name will be great among the nations, and every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Like the NIV, most translations understand this verse as a prediction, and it's quite easy to see why. It makes little theological sense to take this as an existing fact. Malachi can't possibly be suggesting here that people of all religions can worship God acceptably. And so some think that it's not really intended seriously. It's not that the surrounding nations actually are offering God acceptable worship. Rather, it's that even heathen worship was far more devout and much more sincere than what was going on presently in Jerusalem. However, Malachi seems to be suggesting more than that. He's clearly thinking of worship that is directed to Yahweh in verse 11. Indeed, worship that honors Yahweh's name. And so unless this is hyperbole, Malachi is looking more to the future than to the present. This ties in much better with the eschatological focus of the Old Testament in general and with the teaching of Malachi in particular. But however we understand it, the rhetorical point remains the same. Rather than being honored as it is or at least as it will be elsewhere, God's name was being shamelessly profaned in Jerusalem. Worship had become a perfunctory duty. A troublesome nuisance. That's that's how they describe it there in verse 13. What a burden. What a bother. And yet, like so many religious people, they persist in this ritual. They maintain the facade. They keep on lighting these useless fires on God's altar. They continue offering their excuse for worship and they naively think that it would somehow be acceptable to God. I suppose it's a trap that any of us can slip into, even here at Moore College. Today in College Chapel, we might well be perpetuating the mistake we see here in Malachi, simply going through the motions, saying our liturgy and our prayers, yet our hearts are not in it. Chapel has become for us a drudgery, a chore, a burden, something we just want to get over and done with and get on with the rest of our day. If truth be told, we'd much rather be outside playing cricket or handball. We'd much prefer to be drinking a coffee at campus. Our valuable time would be much better spent writing that sermon or finishing that essay or making that important phone call. Instead of sacrificial praise, we're happy to give God the dregs, as it were. Like these people in Malachi's day, we decide what's acceptable. We don't really give God the attention or the respect he deserves. And yet, as Malachi reminds us here, such worship is wholly unacceptable. It fails to respect God for the great king that he is. Moreover, far from securing God's blessing, it undermines it. Like the cheat who reneges on his vow, the behavior of these priests evokes judgment rather than blessing. According to any one of their key roles, namely to pronounce God's blessing on the people, this key role would be rendered futile. If you do not listen, verse 2 of chapter 2, if you do not listen, if you don't resolve to honor my name, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. They can pronounce all the priestly blessings and all the absolutions they want, but it will be to no avail. God has already reversed them. He has turned such blessings into curses, the kind of covenant curses we know from Deuteronomy. And verse 3 warns that there was even worse to come. Well, the first line refers to their offspring or their crops, the future for these priests seems pretty bleak. And this is graphically communicated by what God says next. I will smear on your faces the dung from your, from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. Back in the early 80s, Northern Ireland had its famous hunger strike. 10 Republican prisoners starved themselves to death. It was actually the climax of a five-year struggle for special category status. They wanted to be treated as POWs, prisoners of war, rather than as thugs and murderers. And this struggle actually began with the so-called blanket protest. They wore nothing except the blanket on their bed. A couple of years later, they upped the ante with the so-called dirty protest. What they did then was they smeared their own excrement all over the walls of their prison cells. I can still remember my stomach retching as I saw those vile images on television. Not unlike those who had to hose down the walls, I could only imagine the stench. But compared to what we read here in Malachi, the dirty protest was only mildly disgusting. Talk about humiliation! It's hard to imagine anything worse, especially for Levitical priests, those who spent most of their time avoiding any defilement. But here they are, warned to expect not egg on their face, something far worse. Could there be a better way of expressing their, their total defilement, their humiliation, their rejection than this, carried off with the offal, the dung, the filth, the refuge. This was the warning these priests really needed to heed, for as Malachi goes on to explain, their behavior was jeopardizing God's covenant. Their lack of respect for God was expressed not only by their failure to obey God's word themselves, it was also evident in their failure to communicate God's word to others. They were not faithfully teaching God's word to others. That's the focus of the latter part of Malachi's oracle here. God intended this priestly warning to be a kind of spiritual wake-up call, a call to repentance. His objective was that his covenant with Levi, his covenant with the Levitical priests, might continue. Therefore, Levi is held up here as the gold standard of covenant faithfulness. Malachi probably has several texts in mind, all from the Pentateuch, but it's clearly the the historical faithfulness of this tribe that is key here. How rather than displaying disrespect, Levi responds to God with reverence and awe. Literally, from the face of my name, he was awestruck. How rather than adopting a selective approach to God's word, true instruction was found in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. How rather than being led astray or leading others astray, he walked in step with God and turned many from sin. And that's how it should be, as verse 7 explains. Lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. Like Malachi himself, these priests were meant to be God's messengers, those whose lips preserved knowledge, from whose mouths others could expect faithful instruction. But they had failed. They had failed in this crucial responsibility, and what greater failure than this for those tasked to teach others, for those obligated to train others in righteousness. What a travesty, the situation in Malachi's day. Instead of walking with God in peace and righteousness, they have turned from the way. Instead of turning many from sin, they have caused many to stumble. Instead of keeping the covenant, they've spoiled it same words used at the end of chapter 1 to describe the cheat, spoiled or, or blemished animal in the light of all that they've done god's response comes as no great surprise these priests who had shown contempt for god would be made contemptible these priests who in relation to god's instruction had shown favoritism had lifted faces they would be shown no favor god would not lift up their faces at least not in any positive sense I'm tempted to conclude this sermon on a a nice note, on a positive note, by reminding us of our great high priest, the one who perfectly obeyed God on our behalf, the one who faithfully taught God's word, the one whose humiliation and death has saved us from ever experiencing humiliation and curse, which we deserve. But brothers and sisters, I don't want us to forget or I don't want to downplay the challenge of this text. As those training for Christian ministry, As those with the responsibility to teach others the whole counsel of God, will we be found faithful in season and out of season? Will we watch our life and doctrine closely? If faced with the kind of situation that Mark mentioned to us last week, where faithfulness to God's word may cost us dearly, where we might lose our salary or our home or our church building or even members of our congregation, Will we hold fast to the truth of god's word or will we teach and apply it more selectively will we take the path of least resistance surely tempting in such situations to avoid confrontation to avoid any unpleasantness to keep our heads down and not rock the boat to avoid strife and controversy and that's likely what some of these priests did or started out doing in malachi's day Tragically, they forgot the lesson that God had taught Eli, that those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. Brothers and sisters, let's not make their mistake. Let's continue to serve and worship God acceptably, with due reverence and awe, for our God is both a great King and He is a consuming fire.